0: Hello, my loves. It's Lady G, and you're listening to the Southern Witching Hour podcast. Yes, I'm in the kitchen fixing two glasses of sweet tea on this unseasonably warm evening. One for me and one for my guest, the magnificent Dr. Darnese Martin. Honey, we're out on the porch talking about hoodoo. Now, if you haven't had a chance to meet Dr. Darnese, let me tell you a bit about her using her own words. As a college professor, scholar of religion, and author, I get to craft my vocation around my metaphysical interests, and my students seem to enjoy it, but I didn't start out with university teaching in mind. From a young age, I was seeking a meaningful spirituality that went beyond the usual church teachings. My questions propelled me down a rabbit hole that meant I would have to be the one to write the books I wanted to read. I wanted to know about religions and cultures around the world. And I wanted to know more about black people's practices right here in America. My family comes from hoodoo country in Georgia. Hoodoo is a southern-based folk spirituality used by African-Americans for empowerment and resistance. Before we were Methodists, we knew the use of herbs, rituals, and ordinary natural objects to transform everyday circumstances. Hoodoo is based in African spiritualities and metaphysics. It is ancestor-based, and one day my ancestors sent a call for me to awaken and remember them and their old ways. I answered their call. And part of that means teaching and leading others to find their authentic spiritual truth and find the courage to craft their own way. I rediscovered that our African culture is rich and we will not throw it away or lose it again. Now, if you want to know more about Dr. Darnese, PhD, Author, Professor, Spiritual Life Coach, visit her website at www.drdarnise.com. That's www.drdarnise.com. Now, let me get back out here on this porch to continue this conversation on Hoodoo with my lovely guest. I am so happy to have you here with us today on the Southern Witching Hour podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
1: You know, when I first saw you on Instagram, I was like, what is this? This is amazing. (laughs) A lot of of overlap in our interests, so I'm happy to be here.
0: The thing about it that makes me most happy and most um excited is that we have someone who has an academic background in what we're talking about so that we're not just, you know, don't get me wrong, it's good to have anecdotal information, but it's super good to have someone who's an academic that can really just package this whole thing up real nice and neat for us, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Darnese, can you give us just sort of an overview? Of hoodoo, the historical roots of hoodoo, and um, maybe its context in in our um, in our history as as African Americans. Sure. Well, it is our
1: um, system, our African American, Southern African American system that you know we could call it folk magic, folk spirituality. We could call it um, our healing uh, modality because we used it for everything that we needed it for. Mm -hmm. And so it comes from this context when we were enslaved in the American South, and we needed to take care of ourselves. We needed to take care of ourselves medically. We needed to have some form of resistance. And so we started to blend, or the term is syncretize, right? To mix together things like the culture um, from Africa that we were bringing with us, and the culture that we were finding among these Euro-American Christians. And we have African spiritualities that look different in the new world depending on where they landed. In the American South, we were met with British American Protestantism. And that meant that we did things different in the American South because we had to hide things. We had to go really underground on the DL, As opposed to those of our brothers and sisters who were taken up by Spanish Catholics or French Catholics or Portuguese Catholics to go to Cuba or Haiti or Brazil, Catholicism meant that the flavor of the way they did their spirituality could be a little bit more on the surface, although they blended and syncretized as well. But for those of us in the American South, Hoodoo became this um, like extra spiritual kind of process because it's not a religion. It's a set of tools that allowed us to take care of ourselves. And so I think it really has to be understood and contextualized as a way that African-Americans said, we have to take care of ourselves because who's going to do it? We can't expect these slaveholders to do it. We're not on their list. We're not on their priority list, except for the labor we give. That's right. That's right. And if you were, you know, you had a fever or you had a cold or you had a pain or you were about to deliver a baby. You know, you are kind of on your own, except for your old community and what you could, right? And so what you <laughs> could do as a community, we had to learn the lay of the land when we got here. And so we became biologists and chemists and pharmacologists, learning even from Native American people who we began to interact with too, to know the, lot, the land, to know the, the plant life, the animals people sometimes want to dismiss what we bring and what we created as foolishness or old wives tales or whatever, but it was literally the way we survived.
0: Oh my God. Oh my God. And you really just kind of hit a nerve for me because someone was talking about how these um, Africans brought here to be enslaved were from different places. They did not necessarily speak the same languages. How in the world Did these people come together, learn these other folks' language, and figure out how to take care of ourselves? Yes. It's really remarkable. It is.
1: (laughs) And we know that there are other people, you know, like we're told, like, you know, like the Native American population, but it it just didn't work out to enslave them, right? One, they could slip away much more easily and find community, Mm -hmm. but it, it... And disease, we know that disease really wiped out a lot of the Native American people. Yes. And there's no slight to them. I mean, they were bombarded, Mm -hmm. a whole host of things. And African people, we adapted. You know, we survived. And I hear sometimes younger people saying, you know, we are not our ancestors. Like, we're going to protest or whatever. We're not going to take it. We're not going to do that. Let me tell you something. You are absolutely, literally your ancestors,
0: and because it's in your DNA, and if they survived, you wouldn't be here. Absolutely. I never really got that. I was like, I'm not my ancestor. Well, I would like to see you in that context. You know what I mean? Let's just see. Let's see how bad you are, because it's easy for us to sit here in this day and time and talk about, well, I would have done this, and I would have done that. You would have done probably exactly what they did. Exactly. Or you be gotta survive. You
1: know, I always invite people, go look at yourself in a mirror. Who do you look like? <laughs> who is literally showing up in your face and in your oh. mannerisms? We it's in our DNA. We are literally them.
2: That's right.
1: And you know, one of, my mentor always says, you know, because some people say, but well, what if you had ancestors who um weren't so great or well, they weren't good people, they weren't nice people. And um, so the message is you do what they couldn't do. You make it oh, better. No. Wow. Take into consideration what they were dealing with, right? And you carry it forward in a way. If you know better, if you know better, right, then do better. Do better. Do make better. it better for them, exactly, because they had a certain set of circumstances that we're not dealing with, and they did the best they could. And sometimes it, we we could judge them and say it was bad or harsh or whatever, but. We are them now. We are.
0: I'm proud. I am actually very (laughs) proud of them. And then you bringing that out in the way that you just did, it just, mm, some just rose up in my spirit, girl. (laughs) Well, good, because it's probably your DNA Uh, opening up. Yes, activating. That's a really good word for it. It's like, yes, do you know who you came from? Do you know what they went through? Yes. And I think, you know, it's true
1: that something of them remains alive. And the things that call us, for example, the things that we have we have a, a talent in or we have an interest in or, you know, doesn't necessarily make sense that we have a certain ability. You, We inherited certain things. When we indulge those
0: um, interests, it allows them to continue through us. Yes, yes. Because let me tell you, me and my brother, we are four years apart raised with the same parents in the same house. I am all about looking at hoodoo root word voodoo anything I want to know about it. He is like whoever should call their brother fool in danger hell's fire. You know he is definitely. <laughs> he is like you don't play with that stuff familiar spirits and consulting. You know he's a lot more hardline about things. You know it mm-hmm. is cut and dry for him. He's mm-hmm. not at all interested in the spirit world. Mm. And mm. I just find that in my family, I'm like the only one, <laughs> I'm one of the only ones that I know of that's really interested in that. Ah. Or or if there are others, they may be afraid to talk yep. about having an interest in yep. this. And so here you come and you're
1: continuing the ancestral thread. Mm right like somebody has got to carry that forward and i think from the ancestral realm maybe they choose who it's going to be mm. or or i don't know they kind of speak to the line they speak to multiple people so to speak and see who's going to respond and it was you you'll right? respond like
2: i ah,
1: it's <laughs> right? me right and it happened to be me too in my family line because uh-huh. nobody in my family is, is that into it really um one of my cousins, she's, she is, she's, you know, kind of getting into it, but, and it's not the people in my family um, who come from Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. It's not that they are such, um, I don't know, devout Christians that it comes mm-hmm. from that point. Of view. It's just that they're not that particular interested. So they're just like, yeah, okay, whatever you want to, why you want to know about that old stuff? Right. Like, that
0: oh, old I'm stuff, ready. that yes. old stuff, you just hit it on the the nail on the head, because I think that We, some of us wanted to get away from that, you know, because as I told you in some conversations that we had before, we didn't use the word hoodoo where I lived. People talked about a root worker or a root doctor, which is to me the same thing, just, you know, with a different name. And um, nobody, (laughs) nobody really wanted to talk about the fact that when the doctor didn't work, when Jesus didn't work. fast enough enough. exactly fast enough right because we understand it that's a deeper thing than just you know just a man in in that area at that time Uh so um they went to the third thing which was the the root worker the root doctor and it was for all the things that you mentioned that we would have to do when we were enslaved. It was either for some health reason, maybe it was a matter of the heart. um, A lot of matters of the heart, which we will get to. Which we will get to. Because you know I'm dying to do it. So yes, I think we wanted to get away from it. I'm happy to see a lot of the younger people having more interest in hoodoo and root work mm-hmm. and being just really loud and proud about it mm-hmm. uh, because everybody else in previous generations were like, okay, we've come past that. Right. We've, you know, we're, we're doing something else now. We don't, we don't want to think about that. So yeah, we're
1: um, you know, people move to the North. <laughs> and those are just the way, I love how you said the third way, right? There are things, but then the third way is, <laughs> let me go over here to the conjure doctor or to, you know, they it. call the person anything. They could have called, maybe it was the midwife. Exactly. You no, know, maybe they didn't even have a label. It could have just been, you know, Uncle Ray Ray. You know, you got to go see Uncle Ray Ray. That's well, it. it uncle. Well, he's the doctor for the color folks. That's or, it. So... You know, people People said, people use whatever terminology they, they did. did. And, and always remember too, that we had to hide a lot of stuff. Yes. So, so you're not necessarily trying to say out loud in mixed company <laughs> what exactly Uncle Ray Ray does. That's right. Right, so you just say, you need to go see Uncle Ray Ray about that cough. <laughs> and we right. know some white people would go too because then they found out Somehow or another, that little tea that
0: Uncle Ray Ray makes will knock out that call. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I think I told you this before on a call we had. When um, one time I was downtown in um, one, a small city in Georgia, and this um, area had a, a, a store, and it was an unassuming store. I mean, they sold mm-hmm. like Vitamins, maybe um, essential oils, candles. But then there was a back room. Mm. And I, and I <laughs> asked the little lady, what's, that? what's in the back? Yeah. And she was like, oh, we have other things back there. Girl, I walked back there and saw a jar of shut your mouth. And I thought, oh, my God, what is, what is shut your mouth? And she oh, was God. like, well... Um, You know, we are located very close to a courthouse Mm -hmm. and some of the attorneys will come through here and get some shit your mouth and certain witnesses would stop talking. Wow. I swear to you. And there were, of course, come to me and um, open road stuff, the the stuff that you kind of, you know, are used to. But literally all of the different jars had literally what their purpose was. Right. Shut your mouth, come to me, Exactly open the rose. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what else could it be? Shut your mouth? Yes. <laughs> you uh, know, and it could be shut your mouth if you're um, just pat, if you're just kind of spreading rumors about somebody. I was about to say that if you are
1: mm-hmm. if you are gossiping or if you are, you know, you know, throwing dirt on somebody's name mm. you know, and get some of that and be like, you know what you need to keep. Now they just say, keep my name out. Keep my name body. out
0: your mouth. Put some <laughs> respect on it. OK, right, that's the label. It would have Put that respect on it. OK. So I think you gave us a really nice little um, package of how hoodoo emerged, you know, in our community. So um, you mentioned that it's not a religion, Mm -hmm. but are there special spiritual, I guess, sort of tenets that practitioners adhere to? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, so these are the rules of the road for hoodoo. Is there anything (laughs) like that that exists? Well, you know,
1: it's, it, since it's not a religion, there's no doctrine and there's no, um, perfect word,
0: doctrine, doctrine. Perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for.
1: And there's no hierarchical kind of, um, uh, ecclesiastical system, right? No priests and no bishops and all of that. And so it's an individualistic practice because mm-hmm. everybody who's practicing it, one, you're using the ingredients in your environment, right? Right. Okay. Um you might not have what they have in North Carolina if you're in Georgia. Absolutely. So you, you know, it has to be a very fluid kind of um practice. Mm-hmm. And there really aren't any rules per se. You use what works and you do what works. Oh. Now, individual group <laughs> workers mm-hmm may have the way that they want to work. And so some will say, I only, you know, do positive things. I only Uh want with the light or, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm not, the other one is the two-headed doctor. Although there's no formal doctrine or, you know, authoritative system, it's understood within a community what that person will or will not do. And that person has their own, you know, sense of, I guess, their own personal ethic around Mm what they'll do or not or if you pay them enough they will i mean sometimes it might come to that because i always say you know to my students as well hey what is the difference between medicine and poison it's only the dose The dose if somebody comes to you as the root worker and they say well i need for such and such to happen and you already made up a batch of, you know, that tea that's going to help somebody's cough. But, you know, it says, don't take no more than this. <laughs> Only take this amount within a 12 right. hour period. And then you decide, if I give you that bottle um, and you could go home and give it to somebody, the whole thing at once. Yes. <laughs> that's, hey, then, okay. hey, that's on you. <laughs> Right. And so and maybe the root worker knew you were going to do that or not. Or maybe you said, well, I'm really I really am truly sick of this person. And so I'm ready for them to be gone. Mm-hmm. OK, gone as in leave your house mm-hmm. or gone. They not walk around this earth no more. Uh... Why people, you know, a lot of you know people who especially practice Christianity, they'll say, well, see, this is evil and you shouldn't mm-hmm. you shouldn't do any of this. And mm-hmm. it's bad. I'm like, no, no, no. Because also medicine.
2: -hmm. It really
1: is about the intent of the person. That's the intent. Now we're talking about something else. We're talking about somebody's own personal moral or ethical Mm -hmm. system. Because literally, these herbs grow up out the ground. Right. Leaves are on the trees. They are neutral. They are neutral. And so what are you going to do with them? These are healing aids that are literally in our in nature given to us by God. And so what do you intend? Do you mm. intend medicine or do you intend poison? You have okay. your own inner reflection about who you are, how you showed up, and what you want to do. Exactly. <laughs> See?
0: So you think about toxic versus tonic. <laughs>
1: And is again, this a tonic topic,
0: or is this toxic? It's right. it, like you said, it's down to the intent.
1: We go to the drugstore and buy something off the shelf and it'll say, do not exceed, you know, 10 tablets in a 24-hour period. It's the it's telling you right there. Right. It's or it's toxic. And so right. we're so used to having our medicine come through the pipeline of a of a lab and a pharmacist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we have forgotten that that pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. has based that pill or that medication upon the natural world. That's, right. that's where all of the medicine comes from in the first that's place. right. We are just so, we're so used to, oh, this is made in a lab and then it yes. comes I'm to the pharmacist and my doctor prescribes it. And so that's good. But, um, <laughs> and that's why you have some corporations who they're trying to patent certain plants.
0: So they have complete monopoly over it. That is ridiculous. So you're going to take God's creation and decide. I'm going to stamp my name on it and it yes. belongs to me. Right. And if you try to use um, it, I'll give you a cease and desist order. Or,
1: exactly. I'll you know, fine you so much that you go bankrupt. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and so, yes, you have factions in a community, where, whether it be a small town or on a large scale national level. Of people, corporations trying to say to us, those things that you do are invalid. You mm-hmm. cannot do that. Don't touch that. And then your religion comes along and says, you're going to go to hell if you do. Meanwhile, it's a complete shell game. And they really do <laughs> yeah, it, they it too. Okay. Right, yeah.
0: right. Exactly. I basically copied your recipe. And now I have, you know, right. now this is the standard. And what you are doing is evil and Deadly or you know uh, harmful, mm-hmm. and, and just in a physical way, not just a spiritual way. So amazing, this world, honey. This world is something else. <laughs> I know, right? And if you're not
1: aware, like if you're not in touch with your old people in your family yes. or anything about your family history, you will really, well, drink the Kool-Aid. You will really fall for the okie doke. Is my yes, answer. <laughs> because you will believe it right there's yes. a term it's a you know very fancy uh <laughs> academic term called hegemony cultural hegemony and it just means that um the people in power the colonizers basically they play this sort of mind game where they replace they get us to replace our culture with theirs they get oh, mm-hmm. us to do it ourselves it's cultural hegemony because they can then have, they can deny that it's them after a few generations because what they do is, you know, colonially, they teach you what they want you to know. And then they say, all of your stuff from Africa in particular, all of your own spirituality, none of that is about anything. I'm going to give you mine. So a few generations down the road, all you know anymore is to give your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids what they said. Now you're completely cut off and now you see some things on let's just say on the internet or whatever people talking about hoodoo and you're like, "Oh my gosh, that's devil worship." And you don't even realize that these people have <laughs> taken your your culture from you. You don't recognize that this is the thing, the system that we use for survival and protection. You have no inkling of what that is. And so it's a it's a devastating um Well, Native Americans call it a culture bomb because it's like it's like this um, attack that happens upon us, but it keeps going. There's no end to the culture bomb because, you know, we think of a bomb. Okay, there's one explosion and it does the damage that it does. Right. And then it's over. No, a culture bomb, because of cultural hegemony, keeps going every generation because Mm. we keep teaching our own kids the misinformation.
2: Yes.
1: They grow up with the misinformation. So it's like the bomb goes off every generation, every generation. And the original slave owners and colonizers, they can be like, well, it's not my fault.
0: Absolutely. It's masterful. It is devilishly masterful. Devilishly masterful. You know what what I mean? Oh my God. You know what? These things are interesting to talk about, but sometimes they can really wear on your nerves when you think about, you know, I'm serious. It's like, wow. It is
1: no wonder we needed systems of survival because in addition to the harshness, the brutality, there's also the mind games. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right. So, if you tell me that my spirituality is not valid, then you have control of me.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> like I said, devilishly masterful. So, we talked about the fact that there's not really any particular framework or doctrine, but that. Each individual um, hoodoo worker or root worker has their own sort of set of um, standards Mm -hmm. of how they of how they Mm -hmm. practice. Um, Is there any particular way that the practice is passed on generationally? Do you see like um, like maybe grandmother passes on this information to granddaughter? And I know we kind of address that a little bit that sometimes you know there's one person in the family who gets the information and nobody else is interested. Right. I know that our people didn't create hoodoo schools. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't imagine them out there like, okay, come on, come all to the hoodoo school. You know, so I could see them those, maybe seeing something in one particular grandchild or is this how this worked? How, how would that have worked? It's like a a, a recipe book. Right. They call
1: them now they call them a a, a book of shadows or a grimoire. Right. Right. It would have been something just handwritten, maybe Mm. on some pieces of uh, paper bag Mm. and and handed off to somebody who you thought I'm going to give this to you or or. Like my grandmother, I'm a you're the only one who knows where this is. Y- yes, and you know what that means. Exactly, that means
0: you are the only one.
1: Exactly, <laughs> and so you know, in my case, it wasn't that you know she was giving me these kind of recipes, but there are things that she would say. Look, because I spent a lot of time with her, she took care of me uh, growing up, and so um, she would just say, "Look, I'm gonna show you where this is. I'm gonna show you where this is." And for my grandma, <laughs> that was the good gowns and the good underwear. Right. And now my grandma, she was, you know, she, she had, for some reason she kept a bottle of gin in her drawer, right. In her bedroom drawer. Now that was the, that was the open secret. Uh And therefore I don't know why she even kept it in her drawer because if people, family came over, people came over, they were out playing cards and listening to music. She'd be like, go get my bottle out the drawer. Everybody knew that's where it was. But there were other things that she had mm-hmm. showed me, like she had this black um jewelry box.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like a black lacquer jewelry box. I wonder what happened to jewelry box. And then <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, you're <laughs> supposed to know. Right. <laughs> how do you know? Now that I think about it, but you could raise up the little, you know, there's a bottom, almost a drawer, a mm-hmm. hidden drawer underneath mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, she would put little stuff in there. And so yeah, this is how things get passed along. Um Things don't have to be spoken in plain mm. language. Right, right, right. I'm going to tell you this, right? Like my, one of my uncles who, you know, he watched me a lot, babysat me a lot. And so he, I'm going to tell you this. And he would tell me these elaborate stories, like, you know, how you do on your podcast and you've got all these stories. He would tell me stories like this.
2: Mm. And
1: I would be like, I'd be, I was little, so I be like, hey, why is he telling me
0: these <laughs> stories? He's like, I'm trying to tell you something. I'm trying to tell you something. Do you see that little tiny <laughs> phrase meant so yep. much? I'm yep. trying to tell you something. <laughs> and I was, I was really too young to understand,
1: yes. but it was the repetition of it anyway. Hmm, maybe it worked. I, clearly not, it worked. Clearly see? it worked. And sometimes it, it would work. like it would be kind of a scary story, and I would be scared. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother would be like, "Don't be telling her. Don't, don't tell stuff. her that stuff." <laughs> and don't my uncle telling. would be like, "Oh yeah, because the witch is gonna ride you. You know that thing." And girl, yes. See, my grandmother was policing my old. My uncles were trying to tell me little bits of things. Yeah. And my would be like, don't be
0: telling her tough. that stuff. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But they were telling you something. And all of those things have been common in, in our family. You know, the 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 devil riding you or the witches riding you or whatever, when you can't move, when you have sleep paralysis. Yes. But one interesting thing that I heard, and this is slightly off topic, I used to be a, a sleepwalker. I used to sleepwalk as a child. Wow. Wow. Oh. Up until I think the last time I slept walk was after the death of one of my friends because I had seen him. um, I was walking. I was dreaming, clearly, Mm -hmm. that I was walking down the road and he pulled up next to me in a car and asked me if I wanted a ride. But before I could answer him, my boyfriend at the time pulled up behind us and said, "Um, don't worry about it. She's going to ride with me. But somewhere in the process, I had already gotten up from where I was sleeping and gone into like a closet to put up a blanket. And my mom was like, where are you going? Because she knew I was sleepwalking because I had a history of it. And I said, I'm going with, and I said my friend's name. And she said, no, you're not. Get back in that bed. And I, I woke up and then I went and laid back down. And my mom had told that story to a friend. And the friend was like, he's, he's trying to get her to come with, with him. And you're going to have to pray for him to stop. (gasps)
2: Girl. Oh (laughs) my
0: gosh. Yes. But beside that point, what I was going to say is I had read that when you sleepwalk, that you're actually literally going into the etheric realm or, or what I forget what, you know what I'm talking about, the astral realm. And that you, you don't come something about your body and your, and your spirit are in agreement (laughs) when you wake up, it's like you wake up before your spirit can come back or something like that. And I thought, Ooh, wow, girl, where (laughs) did I go?
1: I know. Right. And I, I, had early experiences of that too, not sleepwalking, but um I used to call it like flying around. Ooh. And um I still do it now, but now I have mm. more knowledge about what that is. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and even even just on a regular, you know, morning when I wake up, mm-hmm. I realize there is there seems to be, there feels like there is this um I don't know, moment where i have to wait for my spirit to reconnect because on the first I the first time my eyes open and alarm goes off no we know no. we're we we, not all here we? yes right it, We wow in our society we don't you know make room uh in general we don't make room for there to be uh an authentic spiritual kind of experience
0: Oh yes, honey, it's time for me to go into the kitchen and refill these two sweet teas, honey, because we are about to get into it. And when I say into it, we're going to get a little bit more into the spiritual realm and definitely continue our conversation on Hoodoo. Catch us in part two.